Welcome to the Modern Yogi Podcast. An exploration of ancient wisdom. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back. My name is Priyadarshini. And I am Shama Sangeeta. My name is Shamali. And thank you so much for joining us. We're back. So last time we did setting the scene. Right. And today we're going to do... Dump the intro. <laughs> the introduction <laughs> we're doing the introduction love it i'm super super excited thank you all for coming back thank you all for joining us again so uh we are using shriller Prabhupada's um bhagavad gita as it is so we'll be going through different page numbers and talking through the introduction so we'll be like all right here are the main points on this number and this number so feel free to grab your gita now and follow along and in case you didn't hear our previous episode, the Gita is basically part of one of the most ancient bodies of knowledge that answers questions like, who am I? What is the universe? And how can I basically be happy in this material world? It's a really, really important book, and we're super excited to dive into it. But before we get into the introduction, let's do a quick recap mm-hmm. of setting the scene, because there's yes. a lot going on here, right? So why are we on a battlefield? Okay. Well, we remember there's two evil brothers, right? What are the names? Mm-hmm. Dhritarashtra, which I cannot say properly. So uh, we're going to call him Evil, evil D. D. I like to call him Evil D. D. And who's the good brother? Pandu. Pandu. Okay. So those are the two brothers. And then the evil brother has a hundred evil sons. Yes. Oh, Lordy. Contraception it's a wasn't lot. a thing back then. Right. <laughs> and then the good That's brother. not how it happens, but okay. <laughs> I know. There was like, we're not going to get into that. But, we're not going to get into that. And then Polite Pandu, the good brother, had how many sons? Five. Five. Five sons. Okay. Five indeed. So, and then Polite Pandu dies, kind of like Mufasa and Scar, right? The Polite mm-hmm. Pandu dies. Yeah. And then there's this epic battle of, like, who's going to inherit this land? Right, because basically, Evil D, he was not only blind in his eyes, a little blind in his intelligence, mm-hmm. and he wanted to take hold of the kingdom, not give it back to its rightful owners. And, you know, they were very gracious and tolerated a lot basically up until the onset of this war which was inevitable yep and so there's a hundred evil sons versus the five good sons and that's sort of the basis of this Mm -hmm. battle that's why every time you look at any picture of the gita they're always on a battlefield they're always riding horses and there's so many like soldiers and whatnot because it's this this war over power and land essentially right yeah and it's a war between good and evil in a sense right right right. represented by the pandas and the kurus justice injustice or dharma dharma yes that's right and who are the two main characters in the bhagavad gita so well, the first one is krishna uh, and the second one is arjuna and um how would we remember this so basically krishna is coming down and playing a role through this whole epic because the the mahabharata is happening in a time when a whole thousands of years ago a whole chaos is up uh rising evil rulers are taking over control and krishna wants to come as in the position of a of a friend a cousin and basically reestablish dharma which here we're understanding it as justice law and legitimate rule so he is urging arjuna in a direction of justice right and arjuna kind of represents us right he's like kind of the dude that's like oh my god what am i supposed to do with my life what is my what is the purpose of my life and so he's kind of like the the person who's asking the questions that we ask when we're going through existential crises in our life he's basically going through a full-blown anxiety attack Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so this entire book this entire gita is one giant conversation between Mm -hmm. krishna and arjuna and i I want to point out you know what's the beautiful thing it's a conversation that is ever evolving we're now partaking in part of that ancient conversation by keeping the content alive yeah Yeah. and and this conversation happened how many years ago like 
5,000 years 5, ago. 5,000 years yeah. ago, right? And it's still relevant to like modern day society right now. It's incredibly interesting how accurate it describes our lives even right now. Mm-hmm. So. Right, because it's not that, oh, this is some ancient world that has nothing to do with our day-to-day life. All of the concepts that took place on this battlefield are applicable into our moment-to-moment decisions. I right. love it. So with that, should Let's we start the introduction? Our- yeah. yeah, if you guys could lead us in the invocation, that would be awesome. Nice. Let's do it. Om Ajnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurum Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha And so basically, what does that mean? This this invocation that we're going to do every single time is we're basically offering respect to our spiritual teachers and our gurus that have come before us, that have given us this guidance. And so it's kind of like a, hey, thank you so much and a prayer of gratitude. (laughs) Right. And trying to get ourselves into the right mindset to approach these concepts, because it's all through mercy that we receive even the knowledge and and. The lenses with how to read this. Love it. All right. So we're going to, in the introduction page, I think page one is invocations, right? Yes, the page one is invocations. But can I say something real quick? So for the introduction, I think a lot of people think introduction is like, oh, this is going to tell us kind of where to start, what it's about to happen. Sort of like the setting the scene. But in this case, introduction is actually taking bits and pieces from the book and kind of giving us context. And so it's good to know that it's um, it's a lot of information <laughs> and we're just going to try to go down and kind of page mention by page. page by page and mention some of the most uh, things that stood out to us and some of the things that it would be good to know for the future of continuing to read right. this book. The nuggets of wisdom that are going to play out through this story. Yeah, right. because there's 31 pages in the introduction, let's be honest, guys, and we're not going to go through all 31 pages, but we will give you the, the beautiful little gems of gems mm-hmm. of wisdom. So where do we start off, Shama? Page two and three. Yes. Okay. So we start off with the Bhagavad Gita is the essence of Vedic knowledge, right? Mm. So that, what does that mean? I mean, I, I think it's like, what is Vedic knowledge, right? This is an ancient, ancient knowledge that has been thousands and thousands of years. And mm-hmm. there's so many, if you look if if you look at, you know, Eastern scriptures, there's so many of them. But I think this is the gem. This is the heart right. of hearts. And so this is, if this is the only book that you read in your whole life, this is the gem. This is what you need to do. <laughs> you're you know? made, you're, it's an yeah. interesting tidbit. Basically, the writer had accomplished so much in his life and was still feeling a sense of dissatisfaction, which for a personality of his stature he should be in complete bliss. So he was thinking, why am I still feeling dissatisfied? So he took all the writings of the Vedas and tried to put it in the most comprehensive. This is like Shama said, if you're going to read one book, you want to dive into the Gita. Right. So there's a couple of things that we're going to go through. And one of the main things it says is kind of how to understand and what mm-hmm. mood and how do we digest sort of what the Gita has to offer to us. And one of the first thing it says, it gives you an example Um, Like here on page two and three, it says, if we want to take a particular medicine, then we have to follow the directions written on the label. We cannot take the medicine according to our own whim. Similarly, the Bhagavad Gita should be taking as it is directed by the speaker, Sri Krishna. Mm. Right. So we want to take the words and not just sort of make up our own. Oh, 100%. If if the doctor gives you anti-diarrhea medicine and he he tells you to take it once a day and you take it once every couple of weeks, you're still going to have diarrhea. Exactly. So it's very important that we, you know, 
read this and take it for what it is exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. and listen to the words of the speaker. So the speaker is Krishna and Arjuna, right? And so they're giving, he's giving like eight, like really, really important knowledge. And so we just take it as directed. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is actually Krishna's mentioned on literally every page of the Gita, but yet so many other versions that aren't true to the original completely take out Krishna altogether. Mm -hmm. So, you know. So this is the one. This is the one. Yeah. Bhagavad Gita as it is. Love it. And so <laughs> Krishna first spoke it and then it was spoken to who? The sun god. So this really highlights, it comes from a long lineage of a disciplic succession that we are trying to follow and imbibe ourselves, but ancient, ancient knowledge that's passed down. Right. So, but at some point um, it became lost. So the, mm -hmm. so the idea is that basically, you know, think about it, like your grandpa told a story to your dad and your dad mm -hmm. told it to his son and his son told it to his son. And it kind of kept going on and on and on like that until it got to you. And they try to keep the essence of the story as much as we can. And at some point it became lost and by it becoming lost, you see a lot of um, not good things happening in the world because the essence of this book is kind of how to be a good person. What are the right things to do? Like there's just a lot of like self growth that you go through by reading this book. And so mm. when it got lost, Krishna came and he was like, listen, we got to start this again. And you Arjuna are going to be the first person to start this again. Right. And with exactly that point, Priya, it shows you that in a way it was destiny's hand that ha made this battlefield ha happen. Mm -hmm. This whole setup with injustice, Absolutely. justice being represented because Krishna had to come down and reestablish Dharma, a sense of morality, spirituality, Right. And here there's a beautiful little tidbit that says he's telling Arjuna, he's relating this supreme secret to him because Arjuna is his devotee and friend. So, yes. you know, this paints a real image of a loving, passionate God who cares about us rather Definitely. than wants to exile us for all time into repentance or... Yeah. And, right. it, and it's kind of cool. It's kind of like we're kind of in the cool kids club because it is secrets, <laughs> right? We are mm -hmm. going to explore a lot of gems of wisdom. A lot of secrets to life actually are in this book. And so I'm really excited to dive deeper into it. Yeah. And so th there's, um. so now if we go to page four and five, they're specifically talking about why is it that is Arjuna the one that is receiving this? Like, right. How did he pick this person? Well, there's a lot of things, right? We can say like, well, it was his cousin. He really liked his cousin. So maybe that's why. <laughs> but actually it's saying that it was because the Bhagavad Gita is best understood by a person who has qualities similar to Arjuna. So mm. we're going to learn more about these qualities as we go on. And we're going to see, do we have these qualities? Like, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's very interesting how they phrase it. Um, but then it goes furthermore to say that it's basically someone who... Um, is uh, a devotee in a relationship with God. So like some right. sort of relationship. And it talks about the five different ways in which you can have a relationship with God. Right. So it creates such a special, intimate thing that each individual has solely within themselves and divinity. Right. Yeah. So, sorry, uh, I just want to say like, it's true. It's like this concept of a relationship with God is like not prevalent in, in a lot of in a lot of spiritual paths, but in bhakti yoga, like that's the main thing. Right. You can have a relationship with God and that's your own relationship. You yeah. Know? Because Definitely. in a way, yeah, if that's our source, tapping back into the source that's deep within us and not just in some distant throne in the sky, in fact, invigorates and infuses us with infinite possibilities of manifesting our full potential in our own life. So yeah. definitely. So then it says there are five different ways in which we can have sort of a relationship with God, right? Um, number one, one may be a devotee in a passive state. 
I found that to be so interesting. But let me let me just number them all, unless you guys want no, to take no, another go ahead, one. Go ahead, <laughs> number two, act, uh, you can be a devotee in an active state. Number three, you can be a devotee as a friend. Number four, devotee as a parent. And number five, you can be a devotee as a conjugal lover. Now, I just want to say also, these are very deep, elevated states that, you know, they really outline, do your duty, don't be attached to the results, and, and try to imbibe that service attitude. And this will unfold in time. It's not that right off the bat, I know what my secret relationship will be. It's something you'll be gravitated towards when the time's right. Yeah. And for me, like, I like to think of my relationship with God as like, I'm talking to a buddy, you know? Yeah. I talk to him very colloquially. I'll be like, hey, dude, you know? But my mom <laughs> likes to see her relationship with God as like, she's God's parent. And like, there's like baby Krishna that she likes to take care of. And so like, it's a very different relationship. And the beauty of it is that you can have whatever relationship that feels right for you. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's also, I mean, I, I found it very interesting that passive and active are ways in which you can have a relationship with God. And mm -hmm. I was trying to think like, what does that look like, right? Like, what does that look like? Maybe mm -hmm. it's someone who kind of grew up with a bhakti tradition or maybe a, a Hindu tradition and mm -hmm. they were just kind of disconnected from it. They didn't really plug in. Like me. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, there we go. How many relationships in our lives currently with friends, are they active or passive, right? Honestly, oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. actually a really good point, right? You have like acquaintances and like mm -hmm. you kind of like, yeah, I know that you exist and you matter to me, but you're kind of over there, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Where actively it's like, I want to be your friend. <laughs> you know, the way I also try to see it to bring it down to a very real platform. In this world, any relationship we get in and even a loving relationship, the more time you dedicate to that person, that relationship, the bigger the presence of that person will grow in your heart and your mind. So Love connecting that. that to this is the ultimate relationship, a very real personal one that we're trying to establish. Yeah. And so basically it's just saying that most of us, this, this relationship with God is eternal. It's always been there. We've, we've have a connection to him no matter what. And this is called Swarup, but we've forgotten that relationship. So like mm -hmm. through this book, we're kind of rediscovering and kind of figuring out where do I fit in? Am I passive, active, a friend, a parent? What is it that, how am I connected, mm -hmm. right? So through service and the right attitude, we can rediscover that. Love right. it. So next pages, six, seven, what are the points there? All right, I think it's it's important to talk about the spirit that you should read this book in, right? And yes. I think the spirit should be similar to what Arjuna had. He was seeking guidance. He also respected Krishna a lot. He also have a, had a spirit of devotion towards listening to what Krishna had to say and actually acting upon it, right? So I think it should be in that mood. Mm -hmm. Right. It says, uh, unless one reads the Bhagavad Gita in a submissive spirit, it is very difficult to understand because it is a great mystery. Mm -hmm. Right. Haven't you guys spoken to anyone that, that comes at you with not necessarily wanting to hear what you're saying, but already their own preconceived notions and kind of attacking? And that's, you know, and you kind of feel like, why would I even try to tell you something if you don't want to listen, really? You're not listening to me. That's a big <laughs> one. Right. So it, yeah, we have to have it, that mindset going yeah. into this. And Priya, you said the word submissive. And a lot of times mm. it has like a negative connotation to it. But mm. I think we have to understand that humility is important because we don't know everything. We don't have all the mm -hmm. answers to right. everything. So that submissive, I think it's in a, hey, like I'm here. My ears are open. I'm ready to learn type of mentality. Definitely. Right, right. That's definitely the meaning for sure. So then it goes to talk a little bit about what the purpose of the Bhagavad Gita is. And I'm going to read the sentence and then we can kind of break it down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the purpose of the Bhagavad Gita is to deliver mankind from the niche science of material existence. Um, what does let's that mean? That? <laughs> <laughs> Nations yeah. of material oh, thank existence. Thank you for saying it correctly. Okay. Goodness what does that gracious. mean? 
So nations is uh, ignorance. Mm. But even that, if we reread that with ignorance in there, it's still a little confusing, right? The, the purpose ignorance. of the Bhagavad Gita is to deliver mankind from the ignorance of material existence. That's mm. still... It's like we're kind of don't know what's happening. We don't know what our purpose is. And this is yeah. just trying to break it down so that we understand what those things are. Right. Because you know what? Very simply, I think everyone could attest. Aren't we all kind of uncomfortable, uh, dissatisfied through so many moments of life when we're trying to just interact with the temporary nature, you know, of, of the world? It's kind of like a fish out of water. When you take a fish out of water, it will be, well, it will die. So we're like this eternal being trapped in this material body, having a material experience, but consciousness that we all have is such a symptom of something greater, the soul. Right. Yeah. And there's this, there's this line that I love, like out of so many human beings who are suffering, there are a few who are actually inquiring about their position as mm. to what they are and why they're put into this awkward position. It literally says awkward position there because <laughs> yeah. it's true. Like there is so much like suffering out there, but mm -hmm. how many of us are actually trying to figure out what is the, why are we suffering? Right. And the moment right. we start to ask those questions, that's when life really starts to begin. That's when our spiritual life starts to begin. Yeah. Here there's a line that says humanity begins when this sort of inquiry is awakened in the mind. Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Because yeah. other than that, like humanity begins, like, what does that mean? It's like, Animals don't have the ability to ask those questions, those yeah. bigger questions like, who am I? What mm -hmm. is my purpose? But the moment you start to ask questions about life, that's when real spirituality and humanity begins. Right. And that very bluntly, that separates us, of uh, uh, an animal, from a human. We have the same eat, may sleep, but if we don't utilize our consciousness, what a waste of an existence. We have to take Definitely. full opportunity of this life. And I think it's, it's also really easy to get stuck in like our everyday lives, like go to work, like wake mm -hmm. up, eat, go to work, come back, you know, like that routine. So the people that are fortunate enough to either receive this knowledge or seek this knowledge, like, like that's, you know, like that's a huge accomplishment. Mm -hmm. If you've made it here, like congratulations, give yourself a pat on the back because like, wow. If, if you made it to the modern yoga podcast, <laughs> just give yourself a pat on the back. Listen, we all made it here. So listen, let's give ourselves. Love it. Um, but page, yeah. Yeah. Page seven talks about this, this concept of the five basic truths. Do you want to go into those? Yeah. So um, it, it took me like a couple of reads to kind of get this down. Um, but there's like five main things we want to talk about. So maybe we just go one at a time. So mm -hmm. there... Um, the science of God is explained um, through the different, these five different things. The first one is living entities. Or jivas. Or jivas. So if I had to think about what living entities are, like how to explain it, it's us, right? Like I mean, everything I, with the soul. Right. Yeah. Anything with the soul. So like an animal, uh, anyone really. A I human, mean, human. Yeah. <laughs> those, yeah. are the, those are the options. Yeah. Um, so that's what living entity means. It's just, we are living, right? Our soul is there. And it's interesting. It even explains, it doesn't end it with living entities, living entities, which are controlled. So if anybody says, ah, I'm not controlled by any, anything, I act on my own accord. It says he is insane. Quote. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we can't control the weather the next day. If we think that we're in control of the weather, we're not. Oh, right? and how often does someone feel like, I know this is the wrong thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> like you're so controlled in a moment to moment by the three modes, which they're going to lay out Can further. I tell you, can I tell you guys a really random story? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. So when I was little, I, I must've been like 10. Okay. I was 10 years old. I loved playing with Barbies and I could spend hours just like by myself creating a whole world and having conversations, you know, like as your kids do yeah, like, oh, yeah. hello. And you're like, you're all characters in this scenario. And I remember one day I was playing and I was like, huh, 
it, and this is really strange that I had this realization because I was 10 years old and I don't know where it came from, but yeah. I thought, so I control my Barbies and they do what I say. So is that how this world works? Mm. Is it like, there's a God controller out there and I'm like one of the Barbies. Mm, and I was like, huh? Like do people, like, I think at that stage I was still trying to figure out things. I was like, does everyone see what I see with my eyes or do they see something different? Yeah. But the idea of the controller became clear to me as I was playing with the Barbies because I was like, yeah, there, there has to be something bigger than me, right? If there's something bigger than, <laughs> it's just like a silly like kid. <laughs> realization that's, right that's profound as a 10 year old i mean you know? i don't, I don't <laughs> know where cool. it came from but i think it kind of ties in back to the next part right so there's living entities and then there's the controller right the ishwara so the controller in this case it controller sounds like a like a negative thing, like a yeah. negative thing right but i just it's unrealistic to think that things work on their own mm -hmm. accord like they're what what works on their own accord i can't even think of an example everything Nothing, has yeah. been either touched by someone to work efficiently on its own. It's not created from nothing, right? There is something bigger and out there. So in this case, the second basic truth is there are jivas, which are us. And then there is Ishwar, the controller. So in this case, that is God, right? Love it. And the third one is? So the third one is Prakriti, yep. material nature. With it's just everything that's temporary in the world around us, which right? I feel that's the answer to, I was sitting with this idea of if the soul, which first of all, we have to even accept that we're not this body. So a quick pit stop before we move forwards is, oh, sure. you know, it's so easy from the scientific view to think it's just a bunch of combination of chemicals. But if you think about it, they've never been able to recreate or reproduce life with just the sheer combination of materials they have here. It, it requires something more. I'm sure anyone that's gone through a death of a relative family, you see that the body's left there. But what was filling and animating the body, right? right. It's kind of like a coat that we just go putting on and off. So... Once we have to really sit with that, we are not just this body, we're a soul. Then you think, my next thought was, okay, but why is a soul that's supposedly, they describe it as eternal, full of knowledge, full of bliss. Why is a soul then that's supposedly full of bliss suffering? Why are we suffering? And that's when it answers, the, it's because we're dealing with the material energy. So we're this eternal soul trapped in a material body. So how do we deal with the material energy? It'll lay it out. Right. So like trying to explain the material nature is what um, Shama was saying, that it's like everything that's around us, right? So like we're easily affected by so many things like, oh, if it's too hot, we get sunburns. And if it's <laughs> too cold, we get sick. And like everything that you, everything that you experience, that is the material nature, right? Mm -hmm. So that is the fourth basic truth. Am I right in the counting? Or is that the third? That's the third. Oh, so Jiva, third. Ishwara, oh, Prakriti. <laughs> and the fourth one is? Time. So time, the duration of existence of mm -hmm. the whole universe. Yep. No, I mean, there's yeah. a teacher in our line that describes time will have its effects on everyone. And we're here building these sandcastles as the wave of time is coming. We see it and we start trying to big, build higher up castles. No, no, I'm going to build a wall. And, <laughs> and, you know, that wave will come and wash everything away, like it or not. So I think the anxiety of time is felt probably by everybody. Mm. Yeah. And then the last one. The last truth is karma. Mm, Which we've all heard of one. before. Yeah. yeah. Like Sir Isaac Newton's, for every action, there's a positive and equal reaction. The good and the bad right. will all go around and come around. 
Yeah, I think karma is a big one. And I think as we get more into the chapters, like we'll talk more about it. But these are the five basic truths and that are entailed in the Bhagavad Gita. So let's keep going. Yeah. And so I think Krishna (laughs) says something. He says on the bottom of page seven, he says this material nature is working under my direction. Right. Mm. And so like he is is establishing himself as the like the the one who's controlling everything right because there's an example given where it's like a kid can look at a car and be like oh my god that's such a cool car there's no horses pulling it or anything but someone who's smarter than a child knows that there's mechanics there's engineering there's right. there's someone behind that who made that car go fast or slow right and so i think we need to understand that there's behind everything there's someone who's moving all of those parts definitely and and it also talks about Um, sort of the qualities of this supreme controller of Krishna. Um, And it's talking about like a particle of gold is also gold. A drop of water from the ocean is also salty. And Mm -hmm. similarly, all of us, the living entities, have all the qualities that the Supreme Lord also has, right? Right. Kind of like the main candle, lighting different candles. It's Mm -hmm. still composed of the same basic structure of fire that fire is transferred on. So. Perfect. Right. If you're following along, we're on page eight and nine. Any other main points on these pages? I do say one quick tidbit about karma, which will show up many points throughout the book. But basically, you know, you have good, bad karma. And our goal is to get beyond that. The transcendental perspective, we want to just bypass the karma and not acquire anymore. We want to get out of the elevator of going <laughs> up and down in this roller coaster of life. And yeah. Then, yeah, there's this notion of like these three modes of material nature that yes. we're also in, right? I was going to say that. Yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, so the first one is the mode of goodness. The second, the mode of passion and the mode of ignorance. The, mm. the way that I sort of like kind of like personify those things is like, you feel different vibrations by going into different buildings, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. When you go into a library, you feel the mode of goodness because it's like calm, it's peaceful, oh, everyone's that. trying to learn. When you go into like the floor of the stock exchange, that's the mode of passion, right? Everyone's right. chasing after money, everyone, like there's there's flashing lights, everyone's going crazy. you feel crazy. it within yourself. Yeah. I'm running late to teach a class, I'm yeah. operating on the you mode of passion. anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. And the last one is mode of ignorance. Like if you go to a bar at like two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> oh like, yeah. You feel like it, oh like you goodness. feel Permeates that energy the whole setting yeah. people yeah. in their sloppiest most and that, of ignorance that applies to everything it applies to food it applies mm-hmm. to like everything that is our actions you it's, know what a little challenge for anybody hearing this right now i will say going forwards try to sit with what are my what modes are governing my actions in this very moment of my day because definitely. it's a combination more or less but some combination of those three mm-hmm. yeah so basically when we combine these right in different combinations then that's kind of what creates karma mm-hmm. right and i think i mean like, like i said we're going to get into more as we go on but the idea is that if you are let's say i don't know i'm just going to make up a random situation here if you are in the mode of passion right and you are at the stock exchange exchange building right and you're just like i have to do whatever i have to do i don't know what they do there (laughs) Uh, and like you just like bump into a bunch of people or you hurt them like that's creating karma because Mm -hmm. you're not Mm -hmm. centered you're not balanced you're not and so like you push someone someone gets hurt like that those are actions that are creating unfortunately negative karma for you right we are literally creating our future moving forward (sighs) yeah you know incredible but there's this notion that karma is not eternal do you want to touch on that yes i I was just about to say it it, so like we often think like gosh but then that means everything we're doing is creating worse and more and worse in karma and like when will this end am i just going to suffer my whole life because i accidentally stepped on an ant or because i you know like whatever Mm -hmm. the things are um but here, they're telling us, actually, karma is not eternal. 
it will stop, right? Mm-hmm. We we are suffering or enjoying the results of our activities from time immemorial, but we can change the results of our karma. And how do we do that? By acquiring the perfect knowledge. Mm-hmm. And where is that perfect knowledge? Right here, ladies and gentlemen. Right, right here. here. Bhagavad Gita, right? So... Yeah. Perfect. I love that. So I think we covered um, page eight and nine. Anything on um, 10 and 11? You know, one thing on eight that's interesting, they say the manifestation of the world is not accepted as false in the Gita. Because, right, this all is so real to us. We're going through living our lives. And it's like, how can this all be like a dream? It feels real. But like so many distant relationships, far off dreams, it feels like a dream from some far off time. So it's real, but the problem is it's temporary. Mm -hmm. That's why we're going to get beyond the modes of good and bad karma. Perfect. All right, 10 and 11. Any um, any main points, ladies? Um, I I think here it's it's sort of bringing up again, like these uh, karmic activities that we're doing Mm -hmm. can we change if we live in the mode of goodness and understand what sort of activities we should adopt, right? Right. It's Yeah, because they're saying like, we don't have to seize the activities. Go to, like we said in the other episode, go to the Himalayas and renounce your whole life, but rather we have to purify our activities. And it's okay if you don't know what those activities of goodness are right now. (laughs) There's a whole chapter later on dedicated to like, what are these activities? So we'll get into that. Yeah, and it's saying if you do behave in like the mode of goodness or like change your behavior, all these actions and reactions of the past activities can change, mm-hmm. right? Like right. they will be um, sort of removed. But we first have to get free from the bodily conception of life. They say that is the preliminary activity for the transcendentalist. What does that mean though? Right, not that this is the ultimate goal, my own self, my beauty, my looks, my body, got to feed it, nourish it. No, because you know what? If I just nourish the body, is going to be like giving that fish out of water human food. We're not going to be ultimately satisfied no matter how much we fill our stomach. But if we want to become liberated, we have to first see ourselves as something so much greater than just this sack of bones we're carrying around and it first starts with asking questions right Mm -hmm. asking those deeper questions right and so it kind of says that um it talks about consciousness and what consciousness is and it goes into like consciousness means like i am right uh like i am feeling i am doing i am it's it's me right but then the reality is and it comes back to the controller and the creator right that we believe that we are the creators, we are the enjoyers, we are all these things, but the Supreme Lord is actually the creator and enjoyer of everything, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, our goal is sort of to Sir, serve yeah, him. Yeah, and, and I know that, like, service usually has, like, a negative connotation, but we're serving people all the time. Yeah. Think right? of the most pure form of love that they say between a mother and the child. The mother spontaneously wants to serve and give and, and nourish her child, right? It's it's the more the, the child maybe reciprocates back and gives love, the mother wants to do it even more and is more endeared. So this concept of service... Yeah, sometimes we shy away from nowadays. I don't want to serve nobody, but it's been, it's a part of our society and our relationships. Yeah. So beautifully there. Yep. It will come back. There there will be mm-hmm. more explanations about service. Service is a theme throughout, throughout the Bhagavad Gita. So, right. Definitely. Mm-hmm. There's this beautiful example on the top of page 12 about our human body, right? And so like, if you look at our body, our stomach is the main enjoyer, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that we do is to just satisfy the stomach. But once the stomach is satisfied, all the other limbs of the body they're, they're also nourished as well. Yeah. Which definitely. is kind of akin to like what we're trying to say is like once we understand our service relationship with something greater than ourselves, it nourishes every other part of our life. Mm. 
You know, there's a line here on page 13 that says the complete whole must have everything within our experience and beyond our experience. Otherwise, it cannot be complete. Mm. And I just think that's such a nice sentence that ties back to this personal, loving form of divinity or our source that we have. Because how could we as humans have all the variety and personality when our source doesn't, right? It just, it cannot technically be that we have more than the source. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to add something to no, that. No, I just wanted to say like now, like we've, we've said a lot, mm -hmm. there's a lot of content here and a lot of people may be thinking, but like, what? Yeah. You say the Bhagavad Gita is like all the knowledge is the Vedic, Vedic wisdom, but like, how do I know that's true? And, and this is kind of a lighthearted example. And there will be many more that can kind of bring us um, this awareness that this is really proven. This is actually helpful for us. And the example here is that cow dung, um, which is animal stool, cow stool. Um, cow poo poo. <laughs> I'm like, oh, how do you say this? Um, in the Vedic scriptures, it's considered to be a purifying agent, right? And if you talk to just any random person in any random country, they might not necessarily think of it that way. Um, but actually it has been proven by modern science that cow dung contains all antiseptic properties. And if you don't know what antiseptic means, it's usually what they use to clean, uh, like uh, cuts or yeah, like it, it, it just actually purifying. And so that's a little sort of example to show that this book knows things that even we through research haven't found out yet mm. oh there, yeah oh yeah I there's so that. many examples along that line that like later on when it came out all the positions of the universe it lined up perfectly with the ones uh, delineated in the vedic scriptures or where this bhagavad gita comes from we need to do a whole one day episode on that because that's all fascinating <laughs> love that it's all real there's this one <laughs> line that i love in, in on page 13 where it talks about like um, is that this relationship with with God is a personal relationship. Mm -hmm. There are other philosophies out there where it's like people worship in an impersonal way. Like they worship um, the energy of God or the light of God. It, mm -hmm. It's very different in Bhakti Yoga philosophy where it's like, Krishna is a person. You can actually, you know what he looks like. You can yeah. actually serve in a very personal way. So mm. it's very different. And in fact, I would say he prefers those spontaneous loving relationships rather than fear-based ones. You know, like mm. I work with children and children get it without knowing they get it. Whenever you tell them, you know, pray, God is in your heart. They'll start speaking to him like like you said, Shama, like a friend, like yeah. a buddy inside, always listening. So Yeah. Hey, dude, why did why did Sammy steal my juice box? What's yeah. going on? God. <laughs> yeah, so I love that. So so we're going to move on to page 14 and 15. Any main mm. points from here, Shamali? Well, one of the ones that I just highlighted, again, it tries to emphasize there are three kinds of activities that are always going to be governed by different modes. So our goal here is to just try to elevate our consciousness to even be receptive to all of that connection, all of that divinity and inspiration. If you do almost like, you know what, take on the case study with yourselves, be willing to take the first step to do the experiment on yourself with all this rich philosophy that clearly outlines the steps and then see the transformation that happens yeah. Can I take us back one bit? Oh, yeah, um, actually, I want to yeah. address again what you were saying about like personalism and mm, the relationship. Yeah. Um, there's this book that I love and it I actually explains it in a very interesting way. So I'm going to read this to you if you guys don't mind. Yeah. Of course. All right. Suppose you're at a crowded party. You meet a man who says, I came with my wife. She's the love of my life. Looking around the room, you ask, which one is your wife? Is she blonde or brunette? I'm not sure. Well, is she short or tall? I don't know. White or black, fat or thin, brown or blue eyes. I have no idea, but I really love her. 
How can you love someone you don't even know? Oof. Right? Mm. So now if someone asked you who God is, would you fare any better? Mm. Mm. Right? That's profound. This really taps into the concept of to know someone is to love someone. Mm. And we have such a treasure chest here of intimate knowledge on our deepest, truest friend and well-wisher. And so many different paths might, you know, who are you trying to connect to? You, we have to know who right. we're trying to connect it's like, to. I got goosebumps when you said that. To know someone, <laughs> to, to know someone is, is to, love, to someone. love someone. I love that. Right? Like, yeah. Think of it in, let's bring it down to real terms. A boyfriend, a girlfriend. How can you love them if you don't know them? Yeah. So when we talk about all these lofty concepts, bring it down to a very real platform on the relationships that we try to create in this life, which ultimately are reflections. Right. And so that's why I think it's so important to understand that like in the Bhagavad Gita, it is very clear that Krishna is someone we're trying to build a relationship with, right? It's not like, is it, mm. I think you were seeking, talking about in personalism, right? Like there, that's not something that we believe in because we do believe that one, in order for us to really understand, to love mm -hmm. someone, we really need to know about them. And so that's kind of what this is going towards, right? And quickly mentioning how we were talking about the service attitude we're trying to cultivate for divinity. You know, thinking of divinity as our source, right? Whenever, let's say we're a kid approaching our mom and we want to ask for a favor, the parent knows whenever you're starting to walk them, okay, Jimmy, what do you want this time? But imagine the kid approaches you and they want nothing, right? They're just like, I just love you, mom. Then as a parent, you want to give that child even wow. more. <laughs> so that's kind of a similar thought. God is not demanding us to serve him. But if you tap into that just natural cycle, it will flourish unimaginable results. Yeah. Um, another thing I really wanted to mention here is um, the idea, like I think we we talked a little bit about it before about animals, right? Mm, yep. So um, I'm just going to read a little excerpt and then we can kind of go from there. Um, it's on the bottom of page 14. Mm. In this world, men are not meant for quarreling like cats and dogs. Men must be intelligent to realize the importance of human life and refuse to act like ordinary animals. I love that. That's true. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it kind of ties back with uh, Shamali was talking about before about, you know, it's not, it, there's, there's a treasure here and we have mm -hmm. to realize that our lives are not just to like eat, meat, right. like, like these qualities that animals do, we have consciousness, we have the ability to seek beyond, right? And, and ask deeper questions. Right. Right. There's a sentence that, that taps upon what you're saying, Priya, beyond this temporary world, there's, there is another world of which we have information. That world consists of another nature, but almost like an ancient one, which is Sanatan, eternal. Perfect. Okay, so Priya, you're the best. You're the best at explaining what Sanatan Dharma is. <laughs> oh snap! So, so okay. if you could take Putting us through because I've heard that term before, and I, my mom has used that term before, but I didn't actually know what it was until Priya explained it to me. Okay, um, I'll try my best. Mm -hmm. So, so Sanatan Dharma is the eternal occupation of a living entity, right? Mm. So, living entity is us, people, person. So it's an eternal occupation. So it's like what we're meant to do, right? It's what we're meant to do, right? Um, and like, yes. <laughs> Little side note here, it says one of the teachers in our line explained the word sanatan before we go into sanatan dharma. Sanatan means that which has neither beginning nor end. Eternal. Yes. Eternal. Amazing. So, so sanatan dharma is the idea of like an eternal occupation, right? And we understand occupation to be that which we're supposed to do. We're teachers, we're you know, uh, surgeons, policemen, surgeons, yeah. whatever it might be. Um, but right. that 
like to truly to truly understand that we have to understand kind of the difference between that and religion. And so in the English word religion is different in that sense that religion conveys the idea of faith, but faith may change. Whereas Sanatana Dharma is eternal and there's it's just like what we're meant to do. And so to further kind of explain this, um, the idea is that as human beings, our eternal occupation is to serve others, mm. right? Um, and regardless of faith and regardless of anything, like that's what we want to do. And so it, it, you might think like, well, do I really want to serve someone else? But you're already doing it, mm -hmm. right? Like yep. you're serving capitalism, you're <laughs> serving the society we live in. Right. Like, or as simple as like serving your friends, a mother serving her son, a wife serving her husband, a husband mm -hmm. serving a wife and so on. Like these, these things are already happening in all kinds of capacities. And if you notice, like if you literally, literally just served yourself, right? Like if you just fed yourself, went to work, like you just did all things for yourself, like, would you be really happy? There's people out there who are wealthy, who have literally everything. And if they just live for themselves, they're still not happy, mm -hmm. right? Because there's True. this sort of deep feeling inside that we're supposed to be serving others and serving something greater than ourselves. Yeah. Right. And I love that. So that's, that's what I, in, in my opinion, that's beautiful. Priya. <laughs> so Thank you, Dharma Priya. Means, oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it makes um, so much sense. Our eternal Dharma, because right. Those titles, whatever job, whatever label you have, that's so temporary. It's, it's the, that might be the Dharma of your body at the moment, but since we established, we're not the body, we are an eternal soul. So what is our eternal Dharma? Yeah. And it's like, it's, it doesn't matter what religion you're in. Right. It's not about, you know, whether I'm black or I'm white or Hispanic or I'm anything. Christian it, it, or Jewish. It, 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 it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's really just like internally, there's something that is fulfilling beyond everything else that if you don't do it, you don't feel fully satisfied. And that is to serve. Right. Yeah. Because all of those are just different paths to the same end goal. And if we're truly spirits in nature, we need to reconnect to that. And it's through service that we're going to do that. Yeah. Right. And so, we're almost done with the introduction. So if there's any other main points that we want to chat about... So I think if we go to page 18 and 19, mm. <laughs> if we go to page 18 and 19, um, we can talk uh, a little bit about... Well, Should we just quickly summarize the universal <laughs> positions? And I think that's, that's going to be a big task. Um, Why don't we leave them with a little teaser for what's... I think, I think we can do it actually. Yeah, I think so, we can do it. Yeah, let's, okay. let's do it. <laughs> so, so there, there's one more sentence I want to read in terms of Sanatana Dharma. And it says, it's not possible for the living entity to be happy without rendering transcendental loving service unto the Supreme Lord. Mm. Right. So that's kind of the ultimate goal. We serve each other. We serve the Supreme Lord. And that's kind of Sanatana Dharma. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's this line that says, we cannot become happy otherwise. Right. And, it, and it's like, don't knock it till you try it. Like, <laughs> like it, it, if you want to try your way, that's great. But I think people are searching and searching and searching. And the Bhagavad Gita essentially says, we cannot be happy any other way besides through service. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then it kind of, there's, there's one more topic before we finish this. And it's the idea of like the eternal sky, what some people might call heaven and kind of how we define that here. Um, and so, Shamali, do you want to start it or? Yeah, just kind of, you know what, the first thing I'm reconnecting it to karma because we had talked about good actions lead to good karma, bad actions, bad karma, but our goal is to get above and beyond that because you know what, there's the higher realms, the middle realms or earth and the lower realms. And we want to not just be going up and down those realms. Yeah. We really do want to get beyond that to a transcendental eternal 
location. Yeah. So there's three different types of statuses of planets, higher, middle, and lower planetary systems. And the Earth is actually in the middle planetary system. Right. right. So you can even see that play out. You have that duality, that good and bad, the the yin and the yang. It's all around us. Yeah. So um, one who can approach the spiritual sky is not required to descend again to the material sky. So the idea is if we read through this book and we learn and we grow and we put into practice the teachings that are here, we can get ourselves out of this world in which there is suffering. I love that. I love that. And and just to add to that, Priya, it's like not only um, does it we get out of suffering, we also eliminate bad karma. On top of page uh, 29, it says, if one reads the Bhagavad Gita very sincerely in all seriousness, by the grace of the Lord, the reactions of past misdeeds will not be acted upon him. Meaning like you don't get the reactions of the bad bad stuff that you've done in the past. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. actually like there are so many beautiful benefits to reading this book. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Then we can live a life even in this moment that we bring the spiritual realm within us and we can tap into that whenever we want in our hearts. Yeah, there's a lot here. If there's anything else, feel free to look at it up uh, Priya and Shamli as we wrap up. But I think this was like a great, um, like Srila Prabhupada gave us a great understanding of this introduction. But if there's anything that we missed. Yeah, I think the only thing I would want to say is like some people might ask, why? Why do I want to live this, leave this earth? Why, why don't I want to be here? Yeah. And I think there's one thing that will come up in the next chapters that is just birth, death, disease, and old age are prevalent here and yeah. they're not in other places. They're not in Goloka, right? So we don't want to die. We don't have to be born again. That's the whole idea of karma. We don't want to get old. We don't want to get sick. Mm-hmm. And those things are generally the things that make us suffers, suffer while we're here, right? So Right. So let's take that lasso to a realm where none of that exists. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so that. in conclusion... Yeah, that was the that was the introduction. We well, hope it was interesting. There's a, I, there's a lot of different nuggets in here, right? Yeah. A lot of it is is it, it, it's not a consecutive story. We're gonna get into that consecutive right, story when we right. start chapter one um, in our next episode. But I hope this was giving uh, a, a greater understanding to the main themes that will come up in the Bhagavad Gita. And join us to see what's gonna happen with our Arjuna and Krishna yes. next episode. That's right. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks Bye. for listening. <laughs> listening. <laughs> See you next time.